Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we are back with our CIO Strategy Snapshot series of conversations. Investors are dealing with a lot of new information, specifically the geopolitical and economic implications of the devastating Israel-Hamas conflict, which remains very fluid. For today, we will focus on the U.S. economy, potential policy actions, and market performance. Uh, Joining us here for the conversation, as always, to discuss these matters, glad to welcome back Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Dreho. Jason, good morning to you. Thank you for dropping by and for spending some time with our listeners and our clients. Welcome back. Good morning, Dan. Happy Tuesday this week. Um, Good to be here. So, Jason, maybe we could begin with some of the recent economic data, including the September jobs report, which we received last Friday, as well as the recent ISM indices. What are these indicators, Jason, saying about the state of the U.S. economy? Well, you mentioned the September jobs report, and now we're on October 10th. So the September data is now rolling in. We get more of it later this week with the CPI data. If we look at what we got on Friday with the payrolls report, it was a number that exceeded expectations. If you take the headline uh, growth in in, uh, non-farm payrolls, which was 336,000, expectations were uh, $130,000 to consensus you. So a pretty big beat. And then the prior two months for July and August, those totals were revised up 119,000. So it's a sizable sort of beat if you add up both uh, the actual sort of the, the revisions for the prior two months. Uh, so strong number, you know, a little bit unexpected. The uh, couple that with data earlier in the week in terms of the JOLTS data that came out for August, so it's one month lag, that showed actually an uptick in the number of job openings. Again, sort of going against expectations where the job openings will decline. And then you factor in over the past three or four weeks, we've seen the weekly jobless claims data that come out on Thursday morning. Those have been very low. Uh, some data points that we got at the end of September were the lowest since January. So you add it all up, it looks like a labor market that, you know, instead of cooling, is actually getting sort of you know, tighter again. Now, the good news out of this is the uh, the wage data, the average hourly earnings, uh, continue to tick lower. And you can see it in different ways. Uh, on the month-over-month basis, the uh, average hourly earnings increased 0.2%. That's the lowest month increase all year, and this is the lowest in the past couple of years, except for one anomalous data point early in 2022. On a year-over-year basis, average hourly earnings are down to 4.2%. And then if you would take the over the last three months, you can annualize the wage growth over the last three months. It comes out to about 3.4%. Uh, the 3.4% is critical because that's kind of right in line with what we'd need to see for inflation to be at a 2% level. Because typically, if you assume, you know, 3.5%, say, wage growth, 1%, 1.5% productivity growth, then it gets you to inflation around 2%. That's kind of the, you know, the kind of back of the envelope type of calculations. So if we look at wage growth and what's trend over the course of this year, it's moving very much in line with what we need to see for inflation to come down. Yet there's no, hasn't been any real sacrifice on, on the, in terms of the jobs data. So that's the story there. The ISM information that we got for manufacturing, uh, still below 50, which suggests contraction, but it's been rising. In fact, we've seen a, a pretty clear sort of bottoming out of, of the manufacturing data, a bit of an uptick. Will it accelerate or be gradual uptick? That's, that's to be determined, but it looks like at least on the manufacturing side of the economy, we've kind of put you know, the bottom in. 
So between you know, th- those data points, what we see is an economy that's still running you know, reasonably strong. Parts that are weak are not going to get, you know, are not getting any weaker at this point in time. Uh, and it's still very much consistent with, you know, kind of a soft landing, at least no recession anytime soon. Uh, and even the wage data suggests you're getting that moderation. Uh, the key data point we'll be watching for later this week is when we get the September CPI to see if it continues the trend of inflation coming down. But overall, the data we've gotten uh, thus far for uh, uh, September suggests an economy that's holding up you know, quite well, even if the expectation is things will slow into the fourth quarter uh, as a result of a number of different factors. So, Jason, with that, let's turn to the markets for a few moments. How have the markets been responding to this data? Well, if I think we need to put the context of, of how markets are performed throughout the summer. You know, they rallied strongly in the summer equities, you know, peaked, the S&P 500 peaked at about a 20% total return. By the end of July, that's when the markets embraced sort of the soft landing narrative. Then as we moved into August and more so in September, obviously we saw a pullback in equities and we saw this big move higher in, in rates. Uh, and I think part of the concern was you know, twofold. One was the thought of, you know, the, the economy is, is too strong, could growth reaccelerate, and that could be inflationary. It's also the case uh, with, if that's true, then rates have to stay higher for longer. And while the markets have started pricing out rate cuts in July and August, it wasn't until the September FOMC meeting when the markets fully kind of acquiesced to this higher for longer narrative, realized the Fed is going to keep rates you know, higher well through into maybe perhaps next year. At least that's, that's kind of the, you know, the belief at this point in time, unlike where it was even two months ago. So what we saw is this kind of rate shock, a really large move higher in the 10-year and the 30-year yields in September of course, equities had to digest all that. Now, if we just look at what's happened in the past 10 days, it's a little bit more of stability. You know, yields have, uh, have kind of stabilized or not, they haven't gone any higher in the past few days. It looks like there's some people willing to maybe step in and buy. Uh, it's kind of pricing in a more reasonable outlook for how long rates could stay higher. And with that, it helps equities provide and get a little bit of a, a you know, kind of a footing after the sell-off we saw in September. And I thought for any of these price action after the payrolls report was quite telling in terms of maybe this dynamic that's taking place in the markets. The headline number far exceeded expectations. The logical expectation was that going into that number, if you exceed it by quite a bit, equities are going to pull back, rates are going to go higher, the dollar's going to strengthen, all because it means, well, the Fed has to do even more than what we're assuming you know, going into it. And that's exactly how the markets opened up. The S&P was down you know, almost 1% by you know, 10 a.m. Ten-year yields were up 12, 13 basis points. The dollar was up. And then sort of a funny thing happened on the way to the market close. Turns out the S&P ended up completely reversing and closing up over one, around 1.2%. Yields were higher, but only about five or six basis points. Uh, and the dollar actually ended up declining. So the question is, like, what actually happened there? And it's uh, you can overinterpret the, the, you know, the price action any given day because of volatility, because of technicals. Uh, it could also be the case that investors looked at the data and said, well, strong headline number, but the wage data is is actually coming down okay. But if you look at it in the totality of, of data over the past few months, I go back to my first, uh, you know, the answer to my first question, the economy is holding up. Uh, it still looks like a soft landing. Inflation is data is trending in the right direction. This is still looking like a pretty good macro environment. And after you adjust for the, you know, move higher in rates, well, then you can actually get some stabilization. The market starts to at least, you know, you know, bounce back a little bit. I think that's the story from, from Friday's price action as a bit of a microcosm for maybe where we are in the markets overall, dealing with this tension of, 
you know, strong economic data, but also potentially leading into higher rates. And how does the market sort of balance between those two and which ones are properly priced at this point in time? So, Jason, if we spend a few moments talking about the Fed, I do want to acknowledge how in recent days a few Fed governors have discussed how the rise in long-end rates might be doing some of the job for them, so to speak. So what exactly do they mean by that? And how can this all impact Fed policy going forward? Well, there were two Fed governors on Monday and another one, I think at the end of last week, Thursday or Friday, who gave comments effectively all kind of consistent with the same statement, which is that with the tenure going up 60 basis points in one month, and and really a few cents over the course of the summer, 100 basis points, the same thing with the 30-year, that does a lot of heavy lifting for the Fed in terms of tightening the financial conditions. Uh, and there are various indications of financial conditions, but some standard ones that people look at would say, you know, they tighten quite a bit from mid-August until the end of September, um, almost equivalent to about 25, 30% of what they tightened all of 2022. And they did that in the course of six weeks, given the move higher in rates. Uh, there were estimates, and these are all, you take them with a grain of salt, that would say, you know, a 25 basis move in financial conditions getting tighter is equivalent to like a 25 basis point rate hike. So what we've seen in in terms of the tightening of financial conditions is equivalent to like two to three rate hikes. So if those rates stay where they are, well, it means the Fed has less reason to, to hike again. And that was essentially the comments from the Fed governors yesterday. So the way the markets have interpreted it, and we can see the tenure at some point was down to around 4.6% uh, this morning. It's now, I think, you know, about 4.7, but definitely down from where it was last week. This is an indication that, well, maybe the the Fed doesn't have to do quite as much. Now, there's the caveat to that, which is, you know, the the governors also acknowledge, like, part of the reason why rates are higher is that the economy is holding up. And if it's holding up quite well, despite the Fed hiking, maybe there's more to do. So I think it still puts them in a situation where they need to see more data and more indications that that the economy is slowing down. The September data we discussed already isn't necessarily indicating that. But as we move further into October and November, some of the implications of, you know, the, the UAW strikes, um, the student loan repayments, the fact that the rates have gone higher, that should start to filter into some of the economic data. Uh, you know, whether that happens in time for the Fed not to hike on November 1st, that remains to be seen. But there's certainly a case, given what's happened over the past month with tighter financial conditions, for the Fed to say, you know, we need to maybe get a pause this month and not do anything. Uh, if that were to happen, the markets would basically interpret it as, they didn't hike in September, they didn't hike in November, they're probably done. So I think it's a key thing to see further communication over the next you know, couple of weeks from the Fed, but also to see how the inflation data comes out. If it comes out in a way that is trending lower, then the case becomes more and more that the Fed probably won't hike again. But we'll have to see how the, the data actually comes out. But that's, that's the latest sort of commentary from the Fed, which is giving the markets a little bit of comfort that this rate shock is, is coming to, to an end, perhaps. Let's turn back to the markets as we begin to wrap up. Based on the factors that you've covered for us, what is the outlook for at least the balance of 2023? Well, I think what we will probably get, at least for the, for the time being, is more market choppiness. Uh, what we saw throughout the summer where you know, markets rally, they pulled back. They are kind of data dependent, very much because the, the Fed is data dependent. Um, so as we continue to evolve, that's it's likely to be this, this environment going forward. Where there is this, as I said, a tension between, you know, there's good data that, that shows economic resiliency, but it also could mean rates could go higher. And given the hot move we've seen in higher so far in rates, there is that concern that perhaps this move isn't done yet, that the tenure could, again, shoot back, uh, you know, over 5% or more. Uh, 
So until there's signs of almost economic data really kind of cooling, that would give comfort that the Fed is done and the rates aren't going higher. We almost need to see some bad economic data for investors to kind of feel a little bit better about the markets. So there is this, uh, you know, this dynamic that's playing out. You know, there's still very much for the economy a soft landing path. For the markets to, to kind of break out of these ranges one way or another, the data has to move in a way that is clearly consistent with you know, growth holding up okay, but not spectacular, while also inflation is coming down in a, in a way that looks like it's clear and sustainable. Uh, that could play out in the next couple of months, uh, and we move into the later this year, uh, especially if the Fed is done. That would give the Fed, the markets more comfort that, again, the rate move is is likely over. I think for the time being, it's more sort of market choppiness um, with the possibility and maybe the risk that if the data plays out as we think it could, that would provide at least a macro backdrop for risk assets to hold you know, have a decent rallying to, to year-end. Now, I would just caution that calling sort of tactical moves on a short-term basis is very difficult. I'm just sort of laying out the conditions where there is certainly a very plausible scenario where uh, you know, the markets could have a, a better run into year-end after what's been a more challenging in the past you know, eight to ten weeks or so. Well, Jason, thank you for helping us to manage expectations as to how the next couple of months might unfold in the markets. We'll, of course, keep our listeners informed along the way, though very helpful to hear your insights today on some recent economic indicators, what they're telling us about the state of the U.S. economy and the impact they've been having to financial markets. So, Jason, appreciate the insights as always. Thank you for joining us here on a Tuesday morning this week. I do look forward to picking back up with our conversation in the week ahead. You're welcome. Have a great week. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. Again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office from UBS Studios. I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.